The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning. Welcome to this edition of Squawk Box. Global stocks rise with the Dow inching closer to a record high after the ECB delivers with a rate cut and a new bond buying program. The Governing Council decided to restart net purchases under its at a monthly pace of 20 billion euro as from November 1st. We expect them to run for as long as necessary. ECB President Mario Draghi then calling for fiscal policy action from governments as he prepares to leave the central bank while investors shift their attention to next week's Federal Reserve decision. Stocks across Asia getting a boost from US-China trade deal hopes after President Trump said he'd consider an interim agreement. OPEC Plus calls for Lagarde members to fall into line on production cuts, while Russian Energy Minister Alexander Novak tells CNBC exclusively that Donald Trump's tweets have no impact on his price forecasts. We see that at the time of the statement, the price goes up or down, but after a while returns to where it was. Therefore, in my view, these are not fundamental factors. Fundamental factors do not lie in words, but actions. So welcome to the program this Friday morning. Out comes the bazooka. That's how it's being portrayed. The European Central Bank provided a raft of stimulus measures to help prop up flagging eurozone growth and soothe concerns over weak inflation. The central bank cut its deposit rate by 10 basis points to negative 0.5%, its first cut since 2016. It announced a 20 billion euro per month bond buying program that will run for, quote, as long as necessary. To combat bank worries, the ECB rolled out a tiered system of interest rates to exclude some excess deposits from negative rates while also confirming plans to offer cheap loans under its Teltro program. The ECB also said the risk of a recession was, quote, low but rising. In his penultimate press conference at the helm of the central bank, President Mario Draghi defended the moves, saying they were backed by most of the governing council. The appropriateness of these instruments, because some think that the APP is appropriate only for risk of, risks of deflation. Others thought that the inter- level of interest rates is already so low that it doesn't need action on the front of, on the APP. Uh, but the majority of the governing council believed that uh, action was warranted. I don't want to preempt the conversation to come, but thank God to all those people who were worried about borrowing money at negative 40 basis points. You must think, oh, I can really borrow a load now at negative 50, eh? There's a real world out there, yeah? And it's not where the central banks inhabit, obviously. Right, let's move on. I think I'm supposed to be on a different wall. There we go. Oh, this is the one. We've got Draghi behind me as well. Great. Okay, let's have a look at the US markets. Uh, seven up 
for the Dow. Six out of seven up for the S&P. We are 0.69% away uh, from the uh, record high on the S&P 500. The Nasdaq was up 0.3 of 1%. Uh, I'm going to look at some of the days. You can have a look at some of the boards as I'm doing it. Treasuries you can have a look at as well. Uh, still under a bit of pressure. The yield picking up quite nicely, 0.7855. By the way, uh, we should bring you the Trump tweet on the back of Draghi as well. That was entertaining as well. Uh, once again, yeah, you know kind of how it went, didn't you? Yeah, he was basically just aiming fire at Mr. Powell and saying, look, 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 the Europeans are doing it, getting their currency down. Uh, and, and here we are, you know, sitting pretty at high rates. Come on, Fed, do something. That's pretty much the tenet uh, from the president as well. But he didn't look at the data, did he? He didn't turn around and say, actually, this is really interesting. After yesterday's PPI, which was quite interesting, he didn't say, the CPI, the core CPI, because that's what we're supposed to look at, strip out all the extraneous stuff, core CPI was up 0.3 of a percent. Now, it was up 0.3% last month as well. So this is getting really interesting now. Um, and that added to the fact that the jobless claims, he didn't laud the jobless claims, did he? Down to 204,000 from 219,000. That's a four-week average down to 213,000 jobless claims. These are really good figures, by the way, those jobless claims figures. So let's not knock them. Uh, the overall CPI figure, going back to that, was up 0.1% to 1.7% as well. So, you know, not a huge figure on the overall, but the core looking pretty sprightly as well. Have a look at today's data. We've got retail sales coming out as well. Anyway, what did the banks do in, in amidst all this? Because the financials have been a really fascinating sector as well. Um, let's have a look here. So we've got Bank of America up 0.7 of 1%. JP Morgan up six tenths of 1%. Goldman Sachs moving up as well. Only Wells Fargo out of the major six there moving in negative territory. 0.41 of a percent lower. So anyway, let's have a look at those crosses because as I say the president was uh, swift to look at the euro dollar pair, which actually has been really stable, hasn't it? I mean, look, 110.68. Again, no great oscillation there. The pound's still... There's some really interesting stuff going on about Brexit at the moment. 123.46. Really interesting. Looking at the subtext, looking at people moving their red lines, looking at people just shifting their balance a little bit. Is something going on in Brexit that looks a little bit less pessimistic? Not according to Michel Barnier, but who knows if... Um, Prime Minister Johnson is moving red lines. If Arlene Foster is moving red lines. Anyway, let's have a look at the Asian markets without China. I've just been looking into this mid-autumn festival. By the way, for all our Chinese viewers, uh, happy mid-autumn festival. It's really interesting. It's, 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 I think it's all about a, a, a hero called Hu Yi. Look at that story. It's really interesting. But they do the, the dancing dragons. They do the mooncakes. They do the lanterns. It's a lovely festival, actually. Uh, ASX 200, 0.13 of 1% higher. And the Nikkei, 1% to the good. Opening calls for European markets look like this. Mildly higher for the FTSE MIB and the FTSE 100. The other two markets trading around the flat line. Happy mid-autumn festival. It's a, it looks a lovely festival. Do you know this one? Uh, well, yeah, I've, all of the festivals. But the, this one in particular is quite pretty. But it's one of those funny ones, isn't it, where human beings begin to think about the end of the warmer weather mm. and squirrelling away their assets for the long winters. And it's similar with this, really. It's a celebration of the harvest and what has been, mm. and then perhaps a, um, a, a preparedness for what's coming. What's coming, Jeff? What's coming. Uh, it's going to get colder. Oh, I thought you might be making a market, met a market metaphor. Well, is winter coming? Is, as they would is say. winter coming? 
I, I don't know. Well, what, isn't the question what, what harvest? Where was the harvest that we can squirrel away for the long term as we consider the big bazooka brought out yesterday? And let's just get into that because I know not everyone in the markets thought it was a huge package that was delivered by the ECB. Antoine Bouvet joins us, senior rate strategist ING, and you're among those that were expecting a 20 basis point rate reduction. That was the house call, and we certainly didn't get that. We got 10 basis points. So when it comes to the asset purchase program, you thought there'd be a much larger number, around 30 billion a month instead of the 20 billion. So how disappointed were you by the headline numbers and what that says about how much more road the ECB has to run? Well, we warned before the meeting that the devil was going to be in the detail. And, and you're right, there was a disappointment on the more quantitative aspects of the program. So a, a smaller cut than planned and also a smaller uh, a restart of the asset purchase program. Now, there are a lot of tweaks of the parameters of the program that actually made it a lot more dovish than what he looked on the face of it. Probably the most important of them was the uh, forward guidance that has been changed from data dependent, dependent to data dependent, which means that now the ECB will wait until inflation rises and stabilizes closer to their forecast or to closer to the target uh, before they uh, move rates higher. Does it mean anything in this environment? Because we've seen enormous changes around how inflation is impacting societies and we've got lots of deflation coming through from technology. Central banks themselves can't work out why we have this mysterious lack of inflation. So to push out your forecasting saying we're just going to wait for it to materialise, does that count for anything in this type of environment for investors? Well, the central bank will always say that the measures that they've just announced is sufficient to uh, re-anchor inflation expectations. But within any reasonable forecast horizon that they economies can do. No, we don't see inflation or core inflation rising uh, towards target. So the implication for the market is that rates will stay lower for even longer than they priced uh, before. And that's why that package was more finely balanced than just the headline suggested is um, investors and, and race investors in particular have to assume that. Um, oh. Where's the evidence? I just have one question that everyone I know, every same person I know is asking. Where's the evidence that the, any of this policy is going to work? Where's the evidence that actually having minus 50 basis points as opposed to minus 40 basis points work? Where's the evidence that having more, more bond buying, that making already world record cheap bonds, whether it be corporate, whether it be sovereign, making them world record even cheaper is going to galvanise the European economy? Where is the evidence that these Teltros will actually make people want to borrow more money? I don't see any evidence that more of the same works? Well, that's the multi-trillion euro question, isn't it? But why don't they have, give us some evidence before they keep doing this? Uh, well, they have given us some evidence. Uh, Philip Lane, the, the head of the, uh, the chief economist of the ECB, has put together a very good presentation explaining how various parameters of uh, monetary policy did boost inflation and growth. Now, you can't believe it or not, and, and look at, at the track record, clearly the market is convinced that more is needed. Um, but, but, but not more monetary policy. There, therein lies the rub. And, and, and Mr Draghi, I'm not criticising him because I think he knows this. He knows it's been about fiscal. I mean, again, the comment here was uh, about there needs to be done more. Yeah, here it is. Now is the time for fiscal policy to take charge, says Mr Draghi. I bet you he said that a dozen, 20, 30, 40 times over the last couple of years. Now is the time for more fiscal. I remember him saying it years ago. Jeffrey, you want to come in? Um, no, I thought you were... 
carrying on with that line he, of attack. He did step it up, didn't he? The the warnings, uh, the the call for, for fiscal easing, he, he did step it them up, and and it's something that we start seeing picked up in in various governments in Europe, in the Netherlands, and even in Germany. Now the question is: Is this going to make uh, a difference at the macro level? Uh, it's a bit of a question mark. We have a, a review that's going to end on the 20th of September in Germany, where they will unveil a package of uh, measures aimed at uh, greening the economy, and and this will amount to a degree of, of fiscal easing. Um, let's deal with the the market reaction, Antoine, because I think you know Steve is clearly angry, and I think we're all a bit concerned about where we're actually going with this huge monetary experiment. But we have it and it's happening. So let's just focus on the market reaction for a moment. It's interesting the point you made about was this a disappointing cut in rates because we saw a a turnaround in the bond markets Mm -hmm. yesterday as people began to take on board the idea that there may not be any more easing before the end of the year here. So what we have is a central bank that's continuing to pump up asset prices Mm -hmm. or has been even if we're not seeing this money filtering through to the real economy. Do we buy into the turnaround that we saw from the bond market and assume now that actually we've seen as much as we're going to get this year and that markets now have to bake in the idea there will be no more further stimulus before year end. Uh, possibly, but the the impact, and, and that's uh, the, the point I was trying to make, the, the package is a lot more powerful than it seems like on, on the headlines. The, the fact that that forward guidance has been extended and that you can't really forecast inflation to rise means that not only the front end of the curve has to stay where it is, but longer maturities as well have to price out the prospect of hikes for a very long time. Uh, the, the big question is how risk assets uh, react to this. The other question I have is just about the longevity of that forward guidance, Mm -hmm. because we know we're in a transition phase here, and this is the penultimate meeting. Christine Lagarde will take the helm. Mm. Do we assume, given that it wasn't a unanimous decision and that the core countries of Germany, France, the Netherlands, Austria and Estonia Mm -hmm. objected to some aspect of this package, do we think that Christine Lagarde will actually just step in and pick up the Draghi playbook or will she come to the table under pressure from the French government and the German government to come up with something different? Uh, Well, there's two things. There's two answers to your question. The first one is, will she um, challenge uh, the measures that have been announced uh, yesterday? Absolutely not. Uh, The ECB is uh, as a governing council. They take a decision uh, in, uh, if not in unanimity, at least in majority, and that will not change. Uh, The question is, in terms of new measures, will the reaction of the ECB change, the reaction function of the ECB change? Uh, It's unlikely, but we may have seen a subtle uh, shift uh, yesterday in the way they approach problems. We moved from a big bazooka approach that we had since 2011, 2012, under Draghi era, that were valid when Italian rates were above 4%, rates were positive, um, and, you know, it, they acted mostly on rate cuts and, and very large uh, balance sheet expansion. That was then. Now, the doubt about the effectiveness is, uh, is a lot stronger, and we have a very strong debates about the negative impacts this would have. Um, so based on that, it's much better for them, or at least the market perceives it this way, to tinker at the edges, uh, at the edge of the, the program, and to uh, make changes in parameters rather right. than being with a big bazooka approach with 
has a lot of downsides. I want to get your view on the banks because we've watched a, a series of very weak report cards cross for about 10 years now from mm -hmm. the banks with not much of a healing process taking place. Mm -hmm. And as we've pressed even low into negative territory, it's been very negative for the profitability of European banks. What changed yesterday? Did anything make a difference at the edges for some of these banks with tiering of deposits? Uh, some suggest it's a bit like helicopter money for, for, the, for the banks. Do you think that did make a difference to the profile of some of these lenders? Uh, we shouldn't overburden the monetary policy side, uh, you know, for the for the banks' um, issues. Nevertheless, th there was um, a bit of a shift. Uh, that tiering would help at the margin. Uh, the fact that Draghi repeatedly in the in the press conference, that's probably something that troubled the market, uh, repeatedly said that negative interest rate come with costs, in particularly for banks, but for other sectors, um, in particularly um, pensions, for example. That's something that's been mentioned in the meeting. Um, there is the hope and it's only a hope at this stage that uh, they will move away from this bazooka uh, approach to something a little bit more uh, fine-tuning of, of policy. So, so just to be clear, you don't think this was the big bazooka, right? No, it, it wasn't a big bazooka. More like an RPG or <laughs> what, like a heavy semi-automatic machine gun? That, that's probably something, something uh, more something appropriate. But, but it's not, not, not quite a water pistol yet. Not the big bazooka. Okay, let's just... We'll bear that in mind because I know <laughs> the question that, is, that's going to turn weapon. up. No, no, the question isn't. You're asking the wrong question for once. Thank you. <laughs> it's not what the weapon was, it's oh. what the ordnance in the weapon was. Right. And it's a question of whether it was live ammo or not. And I, and I, 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 get, I don't mind the, you know, the size of the weapon. It could be like you know, a Sherman Tangle, whatever it may well be. Yes. But, but I think it was inert ammunition, wasn't it? it so was, he was firing blanks. Those are your words. Is there something imputed by that that you feel uncomfortable with? Um, ECB President Mario Draghi also lamented the lack of fiscal stimulus across the Eurozone. Let's hear what he had to say. We really think this package is adequate to, to re-anchor inflation expectations. And by the way, again, if I may repeat myself, if fiscal policy had been in place or would be put in place, the side effects of our monetary policy would be much less, the action of our decisions today would be much faster, and therefore the need to keep in place some of these measures would be less. Project. Uh, well, there you go. That's what we had from the man. Uh, let's hear what the Italian economy minister has to say this morning. Uh, quote, there will be no more clashes with the EU. Slogans on social networks or boycotting of negotiating tables. Uh, this is a... Um, an interview that he's done with a, a newspaper. Italy's new economy minister says we must bring the country's public debt back into the reduction path. National financing of investments should be excluded from structural deficit calculations. Hmm, interesting. So we must bring the public debt back into the reduction path, but somehow we'll find another way of calculating how we can extend fiscal generosity this, to the economy. This is exactly what I said to you guys on Friday and Monday when originally it was 26-point programme from the Italians, then it became a 29-point programme. And it was, it was gorgeous. It was beautiful because you could have everything. You could have staying in the rules of Europe but actually changing the rules of Europe. You could have as well um, staying within the 2% budget deficit there or thereabouts yeah, and keeping preserving the balanced budget in Italy. But at the same time, you could expand the spending as well. This is beautiful. I mean, dare I say, it, some of the, the big international investment banks, when they got Greece into the Eurozone or into the Euro uh, at the turn of the century, couldn't have done it more beautifully. It's called 
dynamic modeling, isn't it? You it's, come up with all the numbers, hope growth will materialize because you've got a growth plan. Then suddenly oh, yeah, all, all the revenues start growth. to get Let's talk know, about growth. We had a growth well. plan a year ago when they pretty much, I think we can say, lied to us about what they thought the Italian growth would be, or they're certainly very optimistic. And we said at the time, this all, last autumn, we said, uh. these figures are rubbish. And funnily enough, it's coming 2% lower. This is what gets me exacerbated, that we are fed these blooming useless lines and these pie-in-the-sky expectations every time, and then we come back down to earth with a bump. Yeah, you remember the golden rule? Gordon Brown and the golden rule? You Over the cycle, well. you only invest for structural and how did that growth, work out for Gordon not Brown's to, debt profile not to fund current debt financing of of, of uh, running the government. And of course, it was nonsense, wasn't it, when it all turned out? But maybe it'll be different. Maybe the Italians have found another way of making the books work. Sylvia is with us now from Helsinki. Eurozone finance ministers and central bank governors are gathering to discuss fiscal rules and the capital markets union. And Sylvia, as I look at this list of dissenters at the ECB, Germany, France, the Netherlands, Netherlands, Austria and Estonia. I can't help but feel that maybe there'll be two sides to this discussion. Peripheral Europe arguing for more stimulus and core Europe saying, sorry, you've had enough. It's time to move on. It's certainly going to be a very long discussion, Jeff. So the elephant in the room as the ministers gather here in the, in the morning in Helsinki is really what's going to get certain governments to spend more, particularly those that have the fiscal leeway to do that. And of course, as you mentioned, that is Germany. It is the Netherlands, Austria. These countries have uh, budget surpluses, yet according to the ECB, they're not doing enough to foster public investment and thus prop up the Eurozone economy. And so in this context, the finance ministers will be discussing this morning changes to those fiscal rules. Let me remind our viewers that the European fiscal rules state that countries should not, should not have a deficit higher than 3% of their GDP, nor a public debt higher than 60%. And so there are growing calls to update these rules, given that there are a lot of member states disrespecting these ceilings. And so a couple of minutes ago, I had the chance to ask the Valdis Zombrowskis, the vice president of the European Commission, how the fiscal rules could change. We need to uh, balance uh, uh, the questions of fiscal sustainability and uh, questions how fiscal policy can uh, stimulate uh, economic growth. So we need to find the right balance. But something which emerges from uh, European uh, Fiscal Board's report, that there is some uh, kind of a pro-cyclicality bias uh, in uh, current rules, or at least the way current rules are uh, being uh, implemented. And it actually goes both in good and bad uh, economic uh, times. So I think one uh, area which we should be looking is to improve counter-cyclicality, because it, it means that uh, there is a space for fiscal stimulus during bad economic times, but uh, then it means that uh, uh, member states should be building fiscal uh, buffers during good economic times. You've recently been nominated as executive vice president as well. You'll be looking at financial services starting November the 1st. Given the context of Brexit, what's your working assumption now? Is it a no-deal Brexit, a no-Brexit or a deal at the next summit? Well, uh, as you know, uh, EU has consistently uh, advocated for a Brexit with uh, agreement. Uh, following the uh, results of the re uh, referendum because we think that uh, uh, doing it orderly it's uh, better for both uh, uh, UK and uh, EU 
uh, of course, uh, uh, seeing the situation in UK, one cannot exclude the possibility of no deal uh, Brexit. That's why from uh, our side we are uh, uh, also uh, doing preparations for this uh, scenario. Just recently we published our six uh, Brexit preparedness communications where we look at the different uh, sectors, uh, uh, different policy areas and what needs to be done also under uh, this uh, scenario. So we are uh, preparing for this possibility, but uh, we are working to avoid it. But isn't it too late to get an agreement before the 31st of October? Uh, well, uh, uh, as, as we know, the British uh, Parliament has uh, vo uh, voted to exclude no-deal uh, Brexit, which may imply uh, a request for potential uh, extension of the deadline. Final question. What's your message to the Prime Minister Boris Johnson as the 31st of October approaches? Well, uh, first of all, uh, it's, uh, 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 it's uh, something which UK itself needs uh, uh, to decide. Uh, they are implementing the results of the uh, referendum, uh, 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 but uh, so far uh, uh, there has been difficulties to find some, if you want, constructive majority. Uh, there was a majority in a parliament against the deal, which uh, Theresa May government has negotiated, and there was a majority in a parliament against no deal. But uh, this means that uh, UK should make up its mind. So, what uh, uh, is what they really then are uh, uh, asking for, and where they want to uh, to uh, uh, land the situation? I was Sylvia there speaking with Mr. Dombrovskis, and of course. It's been the same messages from Mr. Dombrovskis all the way through. I have to say, the one thing you can say about him, he's been consistent, but quite frankly, that balancing is not happening. We'll come back. We'll talk some more about it. We're going to take the break. We'll see you right after this. Stay with us. You're watching Sportbox. A CNBC signature event. East Tech West, CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nanshou, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend. Welcome back, everybody. Every quarter, CNBC asks chief financial officers at some of the largest companies in the world to take part in our global CFO council survey. The latest results are in. They show that more than a third of respondents think that U.S. trade policy is the biggest external risk factor facing their business. Consumer demand and China also top concerns, but fascinating how things like the cyber attack risk have really dropped down the list here as we focus on this issue of U.S. trade policy. Now, more than half of CFOs in the region of Europe, Middle East and Africa say a no-deal Brexit on the 31st of October is now the most likely scenario. In the previous quarter, zero respondents predicted no deal and a majority believed an agreement would be struck. So we've had some very interesting movement on this chart as to where people's expectations are around Brexit. Nearly 70% say the Federal Reserve will cut rates one more time this year. That's compared to the previous two quarters when almost all CFOs quizzed expected the central bank 
to hold or hike rates. I think that gives you a very interesting insight into how CFOs are feeling about the resilience of their own businesses and where they think the global economy is going. The third quarter survey was conducted from August 21st to September 3rd among 62 members of our CFO Council. Steve? Isn't that absolutely fascinating, that CFO survey, that they thought originally it was going to be hold or hike, and now they've all gone uh, to cut at least one more time this year. How extraordinary. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.